0: Hi, it's Friday now, so i got to do something for the Parsha. This week is Vayikra, although really, now you think about it, it's Parsha Zohar, that's more important. And Parsha Zohar is a very weird story, obviously, because, as we all know, Shul is supposed to kill everybody and leaves one alive, and as a result, that helmet comes, and people get the wrong idea, I think, because I bet you most people think like this. Here's the story. There was a group of Amalekites. Shul was told to kill them all. He killed 99.9%, but because he left one alive, Amalek survives as a people, and so on and so forth. But that's not true. I'll tell you, I know it. If you read later on Shmuel, anybody who's a little bit of Tanakh knows this, there are plenty of Amalekim around. Uh, perhaps you'll recall that later in his career, David, David, when he's still running away from Saul before he's king, at the end of Shmuel, uh, has to flee to the Philistines, and he becomes a Philistine soldier of one of the, their noblemen, a, 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 a feudal vassal. And they give him a castle at Ziklog. And so now he's working for the Philistim, for Achish, the king of Gaza. And perhaps you'll remember the story, if, or maybe you never saw it, if you're a Shiva guy, you never saw it. And part of his job is to go and raid Jewish communities and kill and pillage and bring back loot and booty and share with the king. But David is a good Jew, so he doesn't want to do it. And so instead he says he would... Say he raided and wiped out a Jewish village, but really it was an Amalekite village, Amalekim. And uh but he would come back with the goods and the booty and would say it was a Jewish village. So you see there are plenty of Amalekim around after Shaw, you know, the story of Shalanagog. Uh it, it says, Ishla Yah I happen to remember those words, that you know, if he would raid a, a Amalekite village or town or settlement, he'd have to kill everybody, men, women and children. Like in Treasure Island, dead men tell no tales. He didn't want anybody to say, Oh, it's not Jewish, it's 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 Amalek. But you see there, I'm like him. And now that I'm thinking about it, at the very end of Shmoav, perhaps you'll recall this, um, he comes back, he went off to fight with the Philistines, but it never turned out that way because they rejected him, and he goes back to his castle. And the Amalekites have raided his castle and burned it down and carried off his wives and the women and children and everybody else, and David has to chase him into the desert, into the Sinai Desert. And even then, he rescues the men, and women, and children. But if you read the story closely, some of the Malekites get away. I'm simply saying, over and over again, you see, there were Amalekite people around, past, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, the story of Parsha of Sha'ol and Agag. We get obsessed with the Sha'ol story because Purim, they say Haman is Ho'agogi. So Haman is the descendant of Agag. So look how close we can be wiped out by a descendant of that particular Amalekite. But B'cholal doesn't mean all the Malekites were gone. These things are very hard to figure out. Um, There's an Amalekite at the beginning of Shemuel Bay who so says, I killed Saul uh, at his request, and David kills him. And, you know, the, the, uh, the Amalekite is, is not necessarily gone. Matter of fact, nobody will know this. In Divrayum Yomim, Olive, somewhere, the first part where nobody ever reads, it says the different tribes, and I just remembered there was a Shevet Where What land did they get? They went all the way up north, uh west, now, northeast, uh, beyond the Jordan River. And remember it says they came to a certain place and they wiped out Sher-Sapleit that Sher-La-Moloch. sher Which is funny because we get the term sher from there. But you don't want to think of the Holocaust of as Sher-Sapleit But anyway, don't worry, nobody knows that puzzle. The point is they're all over the place, all over the Middle East. And therefore the story of Pashar Zuccher is not one where we came this close to getting rid of all the Amalekites. This is besides the general problem. What kind of a mitzvah is this? Uh, If you wipe them all out, then the mitzvah is over. Usually a mitzvah is like existential. You know, it's there permanently. And uh, here the whole idea is, as the Torah says, remember what Amalek did and wipe out Amalek mitzvah. Once you wipe them out, it's it's gone. Believe it or not, the Rambam is very obsessed with this business. You probably know what I'm talking about. Take a look in the, uh, what is it called? The Sefer Mitzvahs where he does the mitzvah of Amalek, and I remember before it is the mitzvah wiping out the seven nations, Kanani, Mori, Prizi, Busi, and so forth. And he says, "Along, uh, don't think that this is a temporary mitzvah and then once it's over, it's over, meaning, and therefore it shouldn't be considered one of the 613 mitzvahs, but rather it lasts forever, even though you might possibly wipe out the whole tribe of Amalek. It's kind of doke to me. I don't mean, I, I understand exactly what he meant. But there's no question that he's really into trying to explain how uh, the Mechias Amalek is like a basic mitzvah and that's uh, considered ledoros, even though it's possible to wipe them out. Bottom line is, nobody knows what happened with the Amalekites. Uh, I would point out, by the way, that uh, they ain't around today. And what do I mean when I say they ain't around today? Listen close. I'm about to tell you. Because again, the Rambam says this in the uh, Sefer Mitzvahs. If you look over there in the Mitzvahs, i say is about the destroying of the seven nations. He has like a long paragraph. He said, whatever happened to the Canaanim, the seven nations? It also says the same thing there. Lo sechai Kill them all. Men, women, and children. This is the part that's not politically correct. What do you do with that? And he said, you know who fulfilled... The Rambum says what I'm about to say. You know who fulfilled this mitzvah? Davod Uh, Because he killed them all out, or at least whoever he didn't kill became absorbed. Nitme'o. They became absorbed in other nations. They completely lost their identity. So, for example, you might have a Syrian walking around today, or an Iranian, for all I know, or whatever, you know, a, a Turk. And he might, somehow or other, if you go by the DNA, be from Amalek. But since he doesn't know it, as far as he's concerned, he's a Syrian, as far as he's concerned. He's Turkish, as far as he's concerned. He's a Libyan. So that means that he's not a Canaanite anymore, and there's no Mitzvah to go kill him. So similar, you one would think like this. If there's somebody around who may have DNA from a Amalek, you know... Uh, but nobody knows that. He doesn't know it himself. far as he's concerned, he's an American. He's a, you know, a Lebanese or whatever. Then, you know, he's not a Molochite anymore. They fulfilled the Mitzvah because it says, Zech HaMoloch. Zech might mean lose any national identity of theirs. These are speculative matters, but they're kind of interesting, aren't they? You know, uh, like I said, take a look. I forget where it is. It's somewhere in the Rambam about, uh, in the Sefer Mitzvah about destroying the seven nations and then the Mitzvah about wiping out Amalek and remembering him and all that business. He has a quite a reference over there. This is interesting, that part. But I repeat. Shaul HaMelech was not told, as everybody probably thinks. Now, Pocadizzi, Sashar Saul HaMelech has to begin the Haftarah tomorrow. Therefore, go wipe out Amalek. He wasn't told, Organize an expedition and hunted him down over the four corners of the earth. Clearly, if you read the story, there was a certain headquarters of Amalekites somewhere in the desert, and he went down to that city or group of settlements and he wiped them out. But he didn't say, go far into Egypt and this place and that place to go chase out every last Amalekite in, in, in the world. So it's hallowed Now, the irony, by the way, is if Amalek survives at all, first of all, I don't know where they are. You know, nobody knows. But if Amalek survives at all, he'd be Jewish. Because they've been B'nai shal lumped him The descendants of Haman, even though it says they killed out Haman's sons, but obviously not them all, and some men that with Rosh Hashibah and B'nei Brak. <laughs> I don't mean B'nei Brak today. You might have some bad people there now, but they're not from Homer necessarily. But they talk about in the time of the Gemara, you know. B'nei Bonus So there are Jews who are converts to Judaism. Their descendant comes from Amalekites. So that's uh, that's kind of interesting. But of course, if you go like the Rambam, they have no Zechra Malik, meaning they don't identify as Amalekites now. They're completely identified as Jews. And one presumes they're Gary Tzedek, so therefore, you know, they really don't identify over there. Point is, it's a funny story. So what exactly is going on in Pasha Zachar that we freak out, that we say, oh, he didn't kill the last person, and poor King Saul, he was punished so severely, he was stricken with insanity, you know, God played manges when he says, Ruch, Rabi, Yassu, uh You know, he suffered mentally, for terrible for this, and he never asked to be king. Saul's a tragic figure, he never wanted to be king in the first place, and just because he messed up a little... Therefore, he was, uh, you know, utterly destroyed and wiped out. and His children were killed in battle. You know the whole story of, of Shaul. It turned out very bad. And uh, and he was so, it was so much tsar he was in and all the rest of it. And remember, he didn't do such a bad aver. I understand he did a bad aver. I get it. You know, it says, oh, he did a terrible thing. But by our standards, and certainly by the standards of the later kings of Israel, he did kill all of them except one guy. Now, I'm not justifying, but I'm just saying don't put it out a proportion. He did kill everybody except one guy, the king. Uh, so, ordinarily, you so say, I guess God would give him a rap on the knuckles, you know, you did something bad, uh, get stricken with leprosy, you know, some punishment in the Beltran, and instead, as we all know the story, Shmuel drops the boom on him, Chathas, Kes, and know, and, and you know, God's tearing the kings away from you, and you're all going to be wiped out, it's a pretty severe story over there, uh, as we all know, and especially when I say, as I said before, it wasn't all the Amalek, it wasn't all the Malachi, it's not just as far as I can tell, so uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it begs, you know, what's going on over here. In general, I would say that, and this is just my opinion, that's all you ever get over here. Uh, in general, this whole business of and Salmolik is very interesting. Why is there such a mitzvah like that? Is it simply to carry a grudge because there are bad us in the desert? Listen, we Jews have picked up a lot of Moloks along the way. If we start worrying about every country that was bad to us, you go to the French, to the Germans, Believe it or not, I know more history than anybody else. You know, the Polish and you, you, you can, you can, you can you know, like whole, a whole setup of Amalek. <laughs> there's no question about that. So what's a Amalek. Now, you can go the mystical route. And I remember Jonas and Apeshitz likes to do this. You know, Amulik is descended from, uh, who was it? Asub's concubine, was it? No, Eliphaz's concubine. What was her name? Uh, that they, they almost wouldn't take her. You know, there's, there's ways of explaining that in, in, in that way. But uh, in general, what's the idea of Amalek? I would lay this out before you. There's a common... This is how I understand, anyway. This There's a common fallacy out there. It's it's natural. And it goes like this. When I'm here right now, I have what to die for every day. Uh, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough that. I'm not secure. You know, that's the typical human condition. And so a person is like this. Rabbi Shalom, boy, give me the... Give me the winning ticket tomorrow for the Powerball lottery. I want to win $150 million, $1 billion dollars, like the guy did last month. So what's implied in that? What's implied is as follows. Right now, I have trouble paying bills. Who doesn't? But if I won the lottery, I wouldn't have to worry about paying bills ever again for the rest of my life. I would have final financial security. And then, Rebani Shalom, I would not have to bother you anymore. You wouldn't have to waste any time with me. You could go spend all your efforts on all the other people who need your help. All the other people who are poor who are struggling to pay tuitions all the rest of it but for me i'm okay and that's the sin because every person's supposed to say i want to have a connection with god every second and not simply at the level that i need to breathe that's also true but you want to you know the, the whole point of judaism is you want to maintain a dvekas as they call it you want to constant that's the meaning of it. it's a mental dvekas is a mental concept you want to be thinking about you and hashem and hashem and you well, ideally 24-7, but, you know, the best you can do. Once you have the attitude that, you know, if I was secure, I wouldn't have to bother you anymore, then that's really a certain voters are, czar. Because what you're saying is, now that I have my success, I don't need you anymore. You're looking at God like, like a parent you have to hit money on. You understand? And that's not the way it's supposed to be. I'll give you another example. The situation in the Middle East is always lousy. And it's, not, it's, it's getting worse in America, as we know, in terms of the hatred of Jews. So, poor Israel surrounded by the Palestinians, by the Hezbollah, by the Iranians now, and the, now the Turks are getting in the act, and so on and so forth. So, I'm sure plenty of Jews are like this. Just wipe them all out. Bring some kind of, you know, uh, death ray tomorrow, and just kill them all. And then we wake up in the morning, and there'll be nobody left in the Middle East or around us to threaten us, and then everything will be great. Or, if you want to be more liberal, give them a complete change of hearts. So, uh, you know, say, oh, it wasn't Palestine, it was Pakistan. We made a mistake over there. You know, we were thinking of Pennsylvania, not Palestine. So what you're implying if that happened was like this. Israel would wake up in the morning, all the Arabs would be gone. All the peoples in the Middle East would be gone. And then you can sit back and, and say, great, now I don't need you anymore. Israel can chug along. We don't have a national security threat because we know we left to bother us in the Middle East. That's a natural way of thinking, but it's in a because then what you're saying is like this, then we could get along without you. So you're looking at God as, you know, sort of like a backup or something that you, uh, you know, call on because of times of need. But really, 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 you don't really want to have anything to do with God if you didn't need to. And a Jew's not supposed to so think like that. The whole Torah is supposed to be Ava, Hashem, Yer, Hashem. These are the central mitzvahs of the Torah, not side mitzvahs. These are the central mitzvahs of the Torah. And Ava, Hashem, and Yer, Hashem. These these imply a constancy. I want to be with you more than anything else. Now, uh, these are heavy concepts. I'm not sure everybody thinks along these lines. Uh, it's the fallacy of davening. You know, you say, give me this, give me that, and if you have that, then I won't need you. But you always need him. Consequently, you see the mitzvah of Amalek. The Amalek says like this, as Zahar, 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 Amalek. And it'll never go away. You're always going to need God. Because if you think Amalek's gone, because, as I said before, The national identity has gone gone now for thousands of years. There are other Amaleks along the way. We're going to have the Arabs now, you're going to have the Iranians, you're going to have another group, and this one, and this one now, the Europeans are getting in the act, as all we know, all the rest of it. It's a Mitzvah noheg You know, Ace of Son of the Yaakov is a a, a fact Glodoros. And therefore, even if you're not sublime, and even if you're not exalted, and you have this kind of mentality, I told you before, that you want to have dvekas, and be have, and strive to have a physical closeness to God at all times, even if you're not built that way, the G-d Malik will be there in every generation. You'll have what to be worried about. And God will arrange manners that the Jewish people will never be in a situation where they can just sit back and take it easy. Uh, and we haven't been able to. Uh, right after the Holocaust, Israel came up, and from day one, Israel's been facing, uh, you know, the threat of destruction, as we all know. So you can have a breather, but you'll never get rid of it altogether. Uh, this is, to me, uh, 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 this is Pasha Zohar. This, what I just said is what you're supposed to remember. The constancy of the need to always turn to God, because <laughs> Amalek will never go away. The story of Agag is an old story, but the story of Amalek is, is not an old story. It repeats itself. I just got to throw this in. When was it? Two years ago, three years ago. I was in Israel for my mother's site, and... Did a Hadron or Nazer, I think. Yeah, and this is cute. Uh, I won't make a big deal out of this. Uh, there's all kind of ways of approaching these things, you know. You can do it along the lines I just said, which is just a simple uh, philosophy, or you can do it in the halachic way, you know, is Mechiasamal Gad or not, or you makhaim it with this or that. Here, here's a good one: is the, there's a machlokus in the Rishonim actually, the Rishonim. Is is the din of Mechias HaMolek a din in the Melech? Or is it din in the Am? Or is din in every yachid You know, that's, that's a Yeshibish way of, of looking at it. Or uh, the Rambam says, it applies at all times, at all places. And the Chinuch says, no, uh, Zohar Amalek just applies once in your life. Once you said, I remember HaMolek, then, then you're done. We can approach it from that angle which I'm not going to, and you can approach it, as I say, in the 18th century way. You know, I like uh, the Neod of Yehuda and Yenon Sinai, those kind of people. Mishnah Melch. The Gemara, the last Mishnah, I think, in Nazar, says something like, Nazar HaYishmuel. That Shmuel was a nazar, which he was, and the question is, what kind of a Nazar was he? So, okay, fine. So, I remember, the Neod of Yehuda has these drushes. These are super-pipolistic drushes called Dorish Litzian. My God, that's not for everybody. They're super-pipolistic. And he used to give these 10-hour speeches, you know, way back when people were, it was a different audience at that time, I think. And I remember he said the following question, how could Shmuel go in this week's Parsha and chop a mullet, um, I'm sorry, a gog in half? Because isn't that the end of the story that's so dramatic that after Shmuel, well, you know the story, I assume you know the story, uh, comes and rebukes King Saul. And he said, why don't you listen to what God said? He, Shmuel then said, I'll do it, bring me a mulloch. I'm sorry, bring me Agag, the king of Amalek. And Agag comes out of there and he says something, which is impossible to translate correctly, a lot of different translations. But basically, Agag is saying, oh my goose is cooked. And Shmuel then says, as your sword made others childless, now it's the turn of your mother to become childless. By the way, when Eichmann, Adolf Eichmann, was captured by Israel, you know, the Mossad, back in 59, 60, and they had that trial in Israel, the man in the in the in the glass booth, which was broadcast. I think it's online now. The whole trial, if you have that interest. And you know, Eichmann with the six million Jews, and when it's all over, he was condemned mm-hmm. to be hanged. And then, uh, let's see now. Then, Eichmann had a lawyer. I mean, Israel had a trial. So he had a lawyer, uh, a guy, uh, Robert Gavazius, I think, or Gavazius, German lawyer, and. You know, it's a civilized country, so even though he had a death sentence to be hanged, you have the right to appeal, don't you? Like in any country in America, you have the right to appeal. And so he sent an appeal for clemency to reduce the sentence from death to life imprisonment, something like that. And he sent it to the president of Israel at that time, Yitzhak ben Zvi. ben Zvi was not from, but he was an old-school Zionist. So he knew the Bible very well and things like that. He was like a best friend of Ben-Gurion. And they so sent a formal petition to for clemency or lessening of the sentence, and Ben-Svi said, wrote back. I remember, I in Shmuel Aleph, Perik, so and so and such and such. Meaning, he said, check up, Shmuel, what the prophet Samuel said to Agag. Kashe tishk ke tishm <laughs> you killed six million people, so now you're you don't have a, your your sword made millions childless, so you have no, no claim for clemency. Of course, they hanged him, didn't they? But And then he burned his body and dumped it in the sea. Now, anyway, uh, this, is, this is cute. So the note of says, the Dorish Lexian says, how could he, it's a vayeshasef, uh, shmuelashol, which is an unusual verb. I think it's one of the very few times ever used, leshasef. So nobody knows what that means. So since nobody knows what that means, there's a lot of different opinions of Chazal and other places. Some say he x him, he chopped him in half, like he slice him, you know, what shall I say, from shoulder to thing, you know, let, let's put it this way, from Seattle to Miami, and then from Maine to uh, San Diego, you know, like that. He, he sliced him in half. And others say, castrated him, and others say, I don't remember, there's all kinds of different opinions out there. And the note says like this, If Shmuel was a nozer, you're not allowed to be Matami. And if he stabbed him with a sword, because it says he took a sword and was mishah seifim, him, of li and the tomb is conveyed from the corpse to Shmuel. So know another. How can he go and, and do it? So there's a lot of ways to explain it. I had a whole adren on it. But I'll just tell you, one, one of the mafarshim, it's in the Gemara, by the way. One of the mafarshim says he he took off piece by piece and fed it to the buzzards. That's what the way is. Does he took off, a he skinned them alive. He took off a, a stick of flesh and threw it to the birds. And took another flesh and threw it to the birds. In which case, it's very halachic because each time he's throwing flesh, the guy's still alive. He's not a Tommy. And I guess at the very last minute, you know, when he got down to the, to the last piece of flesh, he probably told somebody, you finished the job or something, or like there was nothing left of him anyway, hardly. Uh, in which case, you end up with a whole set of alumnus over Kuma, you understand? And even, I remember I had some, something along the lines that Shmuel was Tommy, but then that just simply means he had to bring a carbon... But the problem is there wasn't a is possible because the Mishkan had recently been destroyed by the Philistines at the Battle of Uphik. And now we know the project was on to rebuild a new one. And if you read a Pusik somewhere in Debra Yomim uh, Aleph at the end, it says that Shmuel started, Ali and Shmuel started a Magbit, a, makbit, a uh, what I say, a contribution campaign, a fundraising campaign to rebuild a new Mishkan that carried on to the time of David. Anyway, it's a whole long extra story, but that's, as I say, 18th century. We're now in the uh, 21st century, and for us, unfortunately, Zacher Sashat is alive and well, as we know from American politics, and I think I've gone long enough, so have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities, or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www. Support